We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Today I'm talking about hope at the table. Um, and I, I wanted to start from like one of the first talks that Luke did on traditions at the table. Um, and I've got a confession to make to all of you, so that's how I'm going to start. Um, so Luke was stood here, I was sat there, and you lot were sat wherever you were, if you were here. And he was asking us to say traditions that we had in our families growing up or our homes now that were about grace. So loads of people were sharing some really creative ideas, songs, poems, prayers that they did. Um, and while you were all doing that, I was sat there um, thinking to myself, what an awful lot of things to be doing before I eat my dinner. <laughs> and then that got me onto thinking, why do we have to do grace before dinner? A lot of this sounds like it'd be way better to do after dinner when I'm already eaten. Or if not, I'll compromise and do it during dinner. But... Why do I have to do it before? My food's getting cold, I'm hungry. What's going on about that? So Luke stood here doing really powerful talk about why traditions are really good. And I was sat there just worrying about my food going cold and me getting even more hungry. Um, luckily for me, luckily for you lot now, um, I believe God spoke to me. Um, he answered my question for why does grace have to be beforehand? Um, and for me, at least, it might be the same for some people in the room, for all of us in the room. Um, it just it showed me that at a time where I am physically satisfying my needs, so I've got hunger, that's my need, my hope is to be filled, I am, I'm satisfying that, I've cooked my dinner, someone else has cooked my dinner, I'm eating it. At a time where I am satisfying my needs, I stop to recognise that I have a God that prov provides all of my needs, that could satisfy me more than I ever could. Um, and so that's why we do it beforehand, to give that opportunity to stop recognize who the true provider is and that kind of takes the emphasis off of me even if I have cooked and onto him and what he provides for me um, so it's almost like I'm, I'm sacrificing one two three minutes max of my food to recognize his greater sacrifice of when he died on the cross took my sins with him and rose again and defeated death. Um, so really, when I think of it like that, luckily, I have now accepted grace before dinner. And I am more than happy to do it. Um, but that's changed it from me. Um, so this isn't a talk on grace. Jess has already done that really well. Um, but it's from that place that I wanted to start to look at hope today. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, um, our reading today is the feeding of the 5,000, which some of you might have heard before. That is in Luke 9, 10 to 20. I have actually not written it down. Does anyone have a Bible and fancy shouting it out? Brilliant. So um, we've got two examples here that I could think of. You might think of more um, of people hoping for things. So firstly, we've got the crowd hoping to meet with Jesus. And then secondly, we've got the disciples hoping for the crowd to be fed. So I thought maybe we could look at those two and see their approaches to getting those hopes met or what they do with their hope. So let's start with the crowd. So the crowd here of Jesus going to Bethsaida um, and they follow him. They want to hear from him. So when um, I was actually reading this um, story in Matthew as well as Luke and the chapter before this one in 
Matthew, Jesus is telling the crowd a load of parables, telling them about the kingdom. Um, We don't know what this exact crowd has heard, but they've clearly heard something about Jesus that they want to follow him. Um, So they've seen something in him. They're hoping to hear a bit more. They go and they follow. Um, We're told it's to a remote town because that's why they had no food. So they've gone a long way. They have really put their trust in him um, and they followed him. So these this crowd they hope to hear from Jesus I imagine they hope to be touched by him to be healed by him they believe in his power and they want to know more about the kingdom that he is preaching so they are putting their hope and trust in him by physically following him and when they get there when Jesus gets there we're told he welcomes them in Matthew it says he has compassion on them and then he heals their sick So Jesus sees them, sees their hope, sees the trust that they've had in him, and he rewards their faithfulness. He shows them the kingdom of plenty by providing for them in miracles. So that's one account of the hope. Then we also have the disciples who have been there throughout this whole thing, um, and they are now hoping for the crowd to be fed. Um, So I actually think they're showing quite genuine care here because they're thinking, we've got this group of people, we're in a remote town, there is nowhere to get food, we need to start thinking. Um, It says it's late afternoon, so they're probably thinking a bit ahead. Um, We don't want them to get hangry. Um, Let's let's find some food for them, send them away. So they say, send the crowd away so that they can go to surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. So they've come up with a solution. They thought, this is my hope. This is what we can do. Jesus, would you do it? Um, But what they've done here is they've thought in humanly terms. Um, So they've thought of the most logical way of meeting their hopes. And they've kind of relied on the world that they know in order to try and fulfilled the hope that they have. Um, I don't want to stand here and knock that completely um, because I think there are times when Jesus gives us logic and the world and our resources to to meet other people's needs and our own needs. But what Jesus does here is he responds and makes a really important point about the kingdom. Um, So he says to the disciples, they don't need to leave. You give them something to eat today. So these disciples, for context, in Luke 9, before this account, they have been healing the sick and they have been, um, what's the word when you get rid of demons? I can't remember the word. Casting demons out. Thank you. Um, So they know about the kingdom. They've been taught about the kingdom. And actually in in Matthew, when when they're asking about the parables, um, I can't remember it word for word, but Jesus literally says to them, I've taught you more about the kingdom. You understand it more than the crowd do. Um, So this is a group of people that really should get the kingdom. They know what it's able to do. They know what God's able to do. They've witnessed miracles and they actually have the authority to perform those miracles themselves. So they should know that there are no limits in this situation. They're seeing that God, uh, Jesus, God um, is healing the sick, um, but then they think in humanly terms to feed them. So I think what Jesus is doing here is he is shifting their perspectives and he's teaching them to rely on God rather than just the world they live in. So what Jesus then does is he instructs the crowd to sit down on the grass. I like that they give us that little bit of detail. Um, So he's asked them to sit down. Now, that's not a table, but kind of what they've got there, I'd say that's kind of at the table. Um, In groups of 50, um, we know there was 5,000 of them. That's only men, so there would have been women and children too, most likely. So there's a lot of people, and he is specifically asking them to sit in group of 50. Um, 
ask someone like Joe McSherry or Ness Y. Um, <laughs> sounds quite good though. <laughs> and then he, while he's been providing for them physically with healing their sick, uh, their sickness, he also then goes that extra step and he provides for them food. He could have very easily sent them out to go get food. It was a logical thing to do by the disciples. But he wants to show them this kingdom is a kingdom of plenty. I can provide all you need. Um, but before, before he multiplies the food, guys, he takes the loaf, he breaks it, and he gives thanks to God. And what would we call that? Grace, oh flipping neck when I read that, I was like, yes. Um, so here we've got Jesus, fully human, but also fully God. Again, ask Ness or Joe about that. Um, but he purposely stops to thank God. And again, I think this is just really showing the importance of taking that time to recognize that God can satisfy our hopes and desires more than we ever can. Um, and while he is providing in human form and in God form. He's still showing everybody there, it's God that's doing this. Um, so the reason I've gone through all that is because I really think that before we even start to think about what we hope for and helping those at our tables for what they hope for and to be hopeful, we have to recognize that God has been really grateful towards us by putting us in positions where we can satisfy our own hopes and desires but only he can fully satisfy and sustain us. Only he provides the kingdom of heaven. Only he truly knows what we need. Um, so he's graceful in letting us do some things for ourselves, but actually remembering that he has sacrificed and he is the true provider is really important before we get into hope. Um, so because I didn't want to get you bored of listening to me for too long, I'm going to stop there and what I'd really like for us to do together is take communion and um, we've been doing that every week but I really feel like communion is a great response to that um, so if you are willing you don't have to um, I'm going to invite you to come up get some grape juice and a piece of bread um, and then sit back down then I've got a prayer and if you want to take the time right now to recognize that God yes you are my true provider I I recognize the sacrifice you've made for me and I want to remember that and um, then we'll do that together so I'll invite you all to go and do that so just up you get get it and then sit back down if you are at home um, this is a time now you can go get some bread or something bready or maybe some something juicy that's red or wine if you're feeling fancy and um, then you can join in with us too and we ever could you are above it all amen Brilliant. Okay, so we've we've kind of recognised the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Um, so now, with that mindset, I'd like to move like practically to how we cultivate hope at our tables. Um, I'm not going to claim to be an expert here, um, but I do do this as a job. So I'm hoping that I've got some <laughs> sort of wisdom. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a professional. No, I'm not a professional. Um, so again, as we already know at this point in the series, our, our tables don't have to just be our dinner tables. They can be. It's a really brilliant place. Um, but as we've just seen, Jesus got people into groups of 50 and sat them down on the grass. I don't imagine there were tables there. So for us, our tables could be um, our workplace. It could be the colleagues we sit next to. It could be the classrooms. Um, it could be the lecture theatres. Um, could be the phone calls we make, the texts we send, um, anything that's kind of our context where we're meeting with people that we care about. 
and don't care about, I guess. Um, so <laughs> let's think about those contexts as we head into these top tips. And again, I didn't do any slides. I really am sorry for the visual learners in the room because I am one of them. Um, but yeah, I've tried to come up with some snappy titles, so hopefully that'll help. So number one, I've got protect yourself from pride. Ooh. <laughs> Now, most of us in this room and probably most of us watching online are actually in a really privileged position where we can walk, work towards some of our hopes by ourselves, um, whether that is food to eat, whether that's having an education to get jobs that we hope for. Um, we do have things that we can use to satisfy our hopes. Um, Equally, we may be able to play a practical part in helping other people in their hopes. So a couple of weeks ago, we had John and Mark here talking to us about generosity at the table. And actually that call that God has given us to share what we've been given with others. So helping ourselves and others to reach hopes and desires isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I just want to quickly touch on here that if we're not careful, and I'm speaking from experience here, I'm not trying to be holy, um, I've seen this in myself. If we're not careful, we can start to credit ourselves more for our provisions rather than thanking God for them, um, rather than thanking God for the things that he's given to us that help us to do that um, and recognizing him as provider. If we lose focus on thankfulness to God for what he has provided for us, we can start to build ourselves up higher and higher in our mind. Um, and that could get to a point where we kind of see ourselves on level with God or maybe even higher. Um, and that's kind of where pride can come into play. When we rely on ourselves instead of including God in our decisions and asking him for strength and guidance, um, again, we stop recognizing what he's given to us and start putting ourselves higher in our minds. Um, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder whether that was kind of at play with the disciples because they saw a need, they thought of how we could do it and they told Jesus to do that. I wonder whether this was kind of a, um, a way of counteracting pridefulness. I don't know. Um, but I want to emphasize that it is important to use our intelligence, our resources, our opportunities to help ourselves and others. But alongside that, it's really good for us to adopt a posture of gratefulness for our positions that we've been put on, put in, um, and the hope that Jesus gives us above earthly things. Um, so a practical way of doing that is grace, as we've just done. Um, grace, I'm just going to say, I'm going to make this rule. Grace doesn't have to just be before dinner. Um, I've done it a couple of times where I've been on my way to work, which I know is a place that pride can take hold of me. Um, I thank God, recognized him as provider, recognized him as above me. Um, or maybe when you're on your way to a relationship you have with someone where you feel like you provide a lot for them or you're providing a lot for yourself there. Um, again, just bringing God into that, recognizing your thankfulness to him for what he's given you um, and recognizing that he is the ultimate provider for us. Um, so that is protect yourself from pride. Then number two, we have embody hope. Um, that's a bit hard to understand, but I'll explain it. So, over my life for many years, um, it's become a bit of a running joke that whenever I get prophecies from people, um, they always involve dance. Um, quite often I'm told God's going to use you to dance upon injustice, God's going to use you through dance. Um, the, the joke isn't the prophecies, the joke is that I am an 
awful dancer, like literally awful dancer. I don't have coordination. Um, I wish there was something worse than dad dancing because that, that is what I have. Um, and I used to always think, well, these people, like, do I just look like a dancer? Because I honestly, I was like, if I use, if I use dance for the kingdom, I will put people off. I'll put people off Christians for life. Um, so that, that's been a thing. But then actually, it's been really powerful for me. As I said, I, I do a lot of hope stuff in my work. Um, and it's definitely my calling um, to kind of understand what dancing upon injustice can mean. And I think it has a lot to do with hope, which is why I want to speak about it today. Um, so number one, it doesn't involve physical dancing, just to reassure everyone in the room, I'm not gonna dance. Um, but as Christians, when we hold the mindset of the kingdom of God, knowing the power of him and the freedom that we have of being citizens of heaven, means that we can encounter hard, unjust situations and stand with victims, stand with people that are hurting and offer them the freedom of God. And for me, Dance is kind of a state of being completely free. Um, it's almost like a posture of joy and ease. You're kind of never really dancing from, I don't know, being bound up. Um, so that's kind of what I see dancing as. Um, and then when we think of then dancing upon injustice, it can mean that we're recognizing and we're seeing hopeless situations, but we know the freedom that God can bring and the miracles he can provide. Um, and... It might be that God is calling us to an unjust situation or a, or a hopeless situation to directly speak into that, to bring his kingdom into that. But also just that embodying of that hope um, can have a big impact as well. Um, just being there, being able to be in the hardship and the injustice, um, but standing in freedom can be really powerful. And I think that's what we're called to do as Christians. So it's that joy of being part of something bigger than the world and leaning on him for strength that gives us that ability to keep on going and keep on bringing hope into those situations. Now, that doesn't mean that hard situations automatically get better and injustice immediately fades. I know this more than anyone, but it does mean that there can be hope in every situation, whatever that hope might look like. So I want to say, I feel like I say this in every talk of mine, but hope, faith, trust, all of that stuff, it's not delusion or denial. It doesn't ignore the fact that there are real challenges in our lives and the lives of those around us. It's not us being away with the fairies. It doesn't ignore that things are really hard or make excuses for these. It doesn't deny our right to anger. It doesn't deny that there is danger. It's not play pretend. But hope is the opposite. Hope acknowledges the situation, how hard it is, but it allows an individual to work to find the best way to cope. Hope is keeping on going through hardship, believing that something better is possible, whether that's now or whether that's in the future. And I think that this um, feeding of the 5,000 is a really good example of that. Um, so the reason I was diving into the Matthew version of this account um, is because in the verses before it, it really um, explains really well why Jesus is going off in solitude on the boat. Um, that's why the crowd have to follow him. So it tells us that 
John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, was really working powerfully in the Holy Spirit. Um, he was beheaded by Herod. Um, and the disciples, they find out, they get his body, they bury him, and then they go to tell Jesus what's happened. Um, it doesn't tell us how Jesus feels, um, but we know that Jesus was fully human, fully God. Um, so I imagine he was grieving and grieving pretty hard. Um, and that's why he got in that boat for some solitude and to retreat. Um, so I think that context is really good for helping us to recognize um, the hope that Jesus is bringing and showing in this, um, in this miracle. Because it means that even in the darkness of the world where situations are not as we hope, God can still provide. Jesus was seeing um, firsthand the like brokenness of the world that we humans in this world had done, um, but still he chose to have compassion on the crowd and to heal the sick and feed them as they needed to. And what that tells us is that the darkness of this world, the brokenness of this world, the evil one's plans, they can never stop the kingdom from prevailing. Our kingdom of God will always prevail. God showed that when he died on the cross and rose again. Um, and that's a really powerful example of the kingdom and the future hope that we get to be a part of knowing that the kingdom of heaven provides all we need and is a kingdom of plenty and that this earth is not all there is, we're citizens of heaven, it really helps us to exist in the hardship of the world, recognizing that things aren't as they are, seeing hopeless situations, but still knowing that there's hope. Um, and I think that's really important. And it's this mindset, this assurance that helps us to keep that hope that allows us to encourage hope at our tables and enables us to be hope bringers and hope holders for those around our tables. So that's what I mean by embody hope. Then number three, I've got lean on God. This one's a short one, don't worry. Um, kind of is what it says. But what I've learned is that leaning on the strength of God gives me the ability to keep on going and keep on being hopeful in a world that's really damaged. Um, so when we're in this world, it's broken. We see hopelessness all around us. We see injustice all around us. Um, but we can go to God with difficult feelings. And what he does is he take those and we receive his spirit in response. And that allows us to be a pillar of hope for other people, even when things are really difficult. Um, ben Myatt, who's a wonderful person in our community, I think it was six years ago now, um, he said something to my group of, I was a fresher, it was our group of freshers, um, that really stuck with me today. And it's, it's how I get through what I do um, and he said we lean on God so that others can lean on us and yeah that's it so sometimes in this world we need to hold on to hope for people that have grown tired of holding their own um, people that have become hopeless and think that there's no there's no way through what they're going through um, kind of as Christians we get to rely on the strength of God so we're not doing it from ourselves which then enables us to hold that hope for other people and keep on going um, and we know that we have a God that we can always have faith in, and we're, I think we take that for granted sometimes. We're, we're really, I'm really grateful that I've got that, and some people don't know God. They don't know that, um, so us using 
our strength of God to be able to provide that hope for other people is a really good thing for us to be able to do. Um, so let's make it a regular practice to go to God for our strength. Just ask him, God, would you fill me up today? Take those difficult feelings. This was really hard. I didn't like when I saw this. What's going on? Would you give me um, a greater knowledge into this? But God, would you give me strength and keep me going? So that is leaning on God. And then lastly, my last point is to actually ask. So I kind of just realized, how can we know what others are hoping for unless we ask them? Um, and it really is as simple as that. I was trying to beef out this a bit more, but literally just how can we know unless we ask? Um, I realized that I find it really easy to be a hope holder and hope bringer in my workplace and I, I don't find it as easy at home um, and then I realized every single time I meet with a young person I tell I ask them what they're hoping for but I don't really do that in my personal life that's not kind of in my first few questions I ask someone um, so I, I gave it a go um, so at my dinner table at home we did it we asked each other what are you hoping for at the moment and in my small group we did it what are you asking uh, no what are you hopeful for at the moment um, and I've just realized that it's a really great practice to genuinely get to know where each other are at um, and what we can be standing with people for in prayer and expectation. Um, me and Isaac, who's my husband, for those that don't know, um, we were kind of reflecting that when you ask people, what can we be praying for at the moment? Sometimes it's really hard to get an answer. It kind of feels like a lot of pressure. But so far, when I've asked people, what are you hoping for at the moment? It's been a lot easier for them to tell me. Um, and then that helps me to pray for them, which is my second step for this point of actually ask people, is for us to just be active in praying for those around our tables and what they're hoping for. We believe that prayer works. We believe that we've got a God who is powerful. Um, so let's harness that um, and that's, let's use that for other people. Um, so just recognizing here that when we stand in hope with other people, we have to have empathy. So empathy is the ability to try and understand something from someone else's perspective. So we put ourselves in their shoes. We think about what they're feeling in their situation. Um, and when we have empathy for people, when we do that, um, instead of just thinking how I would feel in their situation, when we actually look at their surroundings and how they would feel, it kind of stirs us to action. Um, when we genuinely care for people, we can't help but stand with them and harness the power of God for them. We can't help but be active in catching up with them and checking in on them, seeing how they're doing and encouraging them. And I think this is a really testament, real testament to the love of God, um, the, the love that God has for them, um, and a really easy way for us to love our neighbours, which God called us to do. So, um, just asking people, what are you hoping for? And then standing with them in prayer for that, whether that's with them then or just in your week. So I just want to end by saying that I've seen firsthand the power that sharing hope with others can have on an individual. Um, when we share our hopes, we no longer feel like the only person going through our situation. Kind of that act of speaking out what we're hoping for can be really powerful in increasing our determination and to get that motivation to keep on going and trying. Sharing hopes, especially when we know people are going to be praying for those and we believe in the power of God, helps us to not feel alone. Um, and it makes what we're hoping for seem a little bit more possible because we know we're standing with people and we've kind of spoken it. Um, into the world and one I'm going to end with a quick example from my work I can't give I could give so many but I can't because of confidentiality but um, one 
one moment that really showed me the power of hope was I met with a young person for the first time, obviously explained who I am. We did nothing, but I just asked them, what, what are you hoping that my intervention can bring? And I just let them tell me about their hopes. That was it. I didn't give them any tools, didn't give them any techniques, didn't promise to provide any of that. We just talked about what their hopes were, um, then let them go. At the end of that day, um, a teacher came up to me and she was like, what did you do? And I was like, oh my goodness, what did I do? I'm sorry. Um, but she was like, no, like three different people said, what has changed? They're a completely different person. Like they're really engaged and all of these things. And all, all I did was give space for hope. That's all I did. Um, so that kind of just shows us why hope is so important and actually leaving that space to, to just talk about hope and the things we're hoping for is really good and godly um, and helpful.